the startup world, I feel like it's so in line with teachings in Islam. Because with startups, you're, you're so agile, you're always learning and implementing and changing. And that's exactly what Islam teaches you to do. It teaches you to go to China to seek knowledge. And that's exactly how, if you, especially you're a startup founder, you have to do that. Otherwise, you'll never have a successful startup. I won't be impressed with technology until I can download food. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And she is a coder, is Zara Shah. Hi. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, my friends. Muslims. Muslims. Muslim lifestyle podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslims because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So Foz, if you had the technology to download food, what would you download? Hmm, that's another opening question type thing. What would I download? What would I feel like having now? Would it be drinks as well? No, just food. I'm making the rules up here. Just food. Yeah, <laughs> it make it harder <laughs> for me. Um, for food, maybe a sweet thing, something like a pastry, a croissant or something, or something smaller, like a brownie. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of a brownie or a cookie. What about you, Zara? What would you download? I just love my red velvet cakes. So Ooh. all day, every day, hummingbird red velvet cake. I'm good. <laughs> it's a good choice. Good choice. A pizza brownie. <laughs> <laughs> so... We only had one question, but let's get into the opening question for this episode. Are you guys ready for it? Yes, let's do yes. this. Okay, so this week's opening question is, if you could make any game come to life, what would it be and why? So I'll start with you, Foz. Uh, I love this question. I'm into my video games, and since childhood, one of the iconic video games I love used to play with friends and stuff was Mario Kart even to this day. <laughs> it's one of the games you can just turn on and everyone just plays. You don't have to teach anyone too much. Everyone just pick it up and play. But then imagine bringing that to life. You can have an amazing go-kart track. They try doing it here in Canada, but it's not quite the same as what you would expect in Mario Kart. You'd have an amazing track with lots of obstacles and stuff. But then the best thing about it, you can really fire people with your weapons and stuff. And yeah, it'll be quite cool. <laughs> but can you imagine how annoying those traps are going to be? Yeah, I would love doing that to someone like Anise. Like, just imagine Anise is right behind me. He's about to take over, throw a banana peel straight at him. He slips out. The joy in that is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's Think awesome. about animal cruelty and the red turtle and the green turtle. <laughs> yeah, but you're not actually using real turtles, innit? No, I, I know animals will be hurt in the production of the game or the real life game. <laughs> All right, okay. You could be Bowser. I'm just going to chuck bananas at you. (laughs) (laughs) So what about you, Zara? I really love this question as well. My favourite game of all time is Metal Gear Solid. Oh, wow. That's an amazing game. I love that game. And I don't want it to be in real life because of the war part, because obviously that's not cool. But like the best part is when Snake dies and then the colonel is like, Snake, Snake, you know? And it's like, I just want someone to do that to me. (laughs) 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 Like before I respawn, just someone shout out my name like that. Zara! There you go. I did it live. (laughs) That's it. My day is done. (laughs) That was such an epic game. I still play it. (laughs) So what about you, Anise? What would you do? Okay, so did you ever play SimCity when you were little? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll bring that to life. I know it's a bit of a boring answer, <laughs> but 
I just used to really love building cities and then destroying them. There was a cheat that you can use. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you guys remember the cheat, but you can send Godzilla to destroy your city. <laughs> what? No way. I never played it enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. So there was two, two cheats I used to use. Unlimited money, so you can build anything you want. <laughs> And then oh my gosh. unlimited damage, so you can do a lot of damage to your city as well. So, and then you can send it to other cities as well. So, I'll send Godzilla to Frozen City as usual. <laughs> you, you could tell this says a lot about Anise. Like he's got cheats on his game, destroying cities. Imagine destroying a city, Anise. That's fine. It'll be your That's city. Evil. It'll be fine. I'll evacuate all the people first, and then just destroy it. Well, what about the people, though? No, I, I'll evacuate them first. So no one, no, no people will be harmed in this game. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to the show? Yeah. So today on our show, we're joined by Zara Shah. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Just before we jump into finding out more about you, I'm just going to read a brief bio about you. So. You're a Muslim woman in tech with a purpose. You are a program manager at Recoded in Iraq, where you are on a mission to grow Iraq's tech ecosystem and build talent among youth so that they can solve local issues using technology. You have also worked at Gaza Sky Geeks, the first accelerator and coding school in Gaza. And today we're keen to hear about your work in tech, specifically in Gaza, Iraq, and how you're helping to lay the foundations to help the youth solve problems of tomorrow. So let's start by finding a bit about you, Zara. Tell us about you and yourself and your background. Sure. So I am an East Londoner at heart, just like yourselves. And (laughs) I was (laughs) I was born and raised in London. I did my bachelor's at Goldsmiths and I did English and drama, which was like, oh my god, brown girl doing drama, what? And um, no, I didn't want to be an actress. I just did it because like I absolutely love Renaissance and theatre and I was into like the behind the scenes stuff. And then during that, I kind of I did an internship in The Hague for like an NGO. And I was like, wow, like this is so amazing. It's so rewarding. There's so much work behind it. And at the time, I was also working for Groupon when it was kind of at the startup phase, becoming a proper company. And I realized like I love Groupon, but I also want a more fulfilling job so that was when I knew like I want to work for the UN you know that's that's my future plan so I went back to Groupon worked for a bit quit and then moved to the Netherlands to do my master's in international relations and then it all kind of spun out from there I was working for a startup in Amsterdam and I was just trying to figure out like how can I merge my tech background and startup background into the humanitarian sector and that's where I came across Gaza Sky Geeks and they were you know, building the tech ecosystem, Gaza, providing tech education, entrepreneurship training to youth there. And I saw how much people had developed and city had developed. And I visited and I was working mainly remotely from Jordan. And then I kind of thought, you know what, like I want to keep doing this and I want to be on the ground more. So then I joined Recoded and I moved to Erbil last year. It's nearly my one year anniversary here. And um, wow. yeah, I'm just like really happy to be doing what I what I enjoy the most, bringing that startup mentality to a humanitarian focused startup NGO. That's really, really cool. And like you, you touched on so many things there, so I'm just going to jump around a bit. Um, so first, first of all, like your background, you did drama and arts, like nothing related to computing or coding or anything like that. So how did you pick up all of those skills and how did you end up at group all of a sudden? So I never, yeah, I mean, I've never been a coder and I don't think 
that was never really my thing, although I really like it and I wish I could do it, <laughs> but I don't think I'm a coding person. <laughs> but I, even at Groupon, I kind of like, I was in the editorial department and in startups, you always have to do a bit of everything, right? So you kind of learn so much. Okay. Like I learned about sales, I learned about account management, but I always had this like project management vibe in me, you know? <laughs> so I followed mm. that. And in Amsterdam, I was kind of in the marketing side of the startup, working closely with the developers. And then with Gaza Sky Geeks, I was working a bit more on like community engagement and doing loads of different things there. But then with Recoded, being a program manager, it's like you're doing a bit of everything. You just need to have like an umbrella view of what's going on, on in each project, on each facet. Yeah, yeah. So what is it about you that allowed you to chase that dream and make like, I would love to do something like that, but then I'm thinking, I've got this responsibility, I've got, you know, how do I give up this and just go somewhere and do it there? What is it about you or your upbringing that made you just do it? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I can't say it was really easy. I think I'm just a really relentless person and I don't give up very easily and I don't take no for an answer. You can blame my dad for that. (laughs) (laughs) I basically just, I knew like I wanted this mm-hmm. and the opportunities like this aren't very common. There aren't a ton of organizations like Gaza Sky Geeks, like Recoded around. I just had my heart set on it and I kept applying, I kept getting rejected. There were times where oh. I was, you know, feeling really bad and, you know, but I kept, I kept persevering and I was really lucky. Like all I can say is God had a hand in this because I, you know, yeah, for sure. Like being, relentless and trying your best and always like not giving up is is key and also just trying to like refine your skills because one option was I could just sit at home and do nothing but no like I did want to do I did a lot of pro bono work on the side I was doing like internships with the UN so I never you know I was working for free a lot of the time just to get that experience to be where I wanted to be and it sucks but you got to do it. Was there a reason why you wanted to choose Gaza and Iraq or did it just kind of fall into place like that? No, I I chose those on purpose because I find them at very interesting places in terms of the amount that each country and each city has been through. They have had their own types of challenges, different conflicts that have occurred that's had an impact on generations. And I wanted to see, like, how can I help improve the, the opportunities there, especially for youth? And I always think, like, you know, I could just go back to London and I can have a cushy job and a cushy place but I'm not helping anyone as much as I could in these places and that's only because I think there is a lack of skills that come into Iraq come into Gaza because there is lack of exposure so I think my skills not that they're the most amazing skills in the world but I think they're more valuable here than they are if I was to move back to London and just kind of be another person working in a company. That is interesting. And um, before we go into the work you did at um, um, Sky Geeks, I just wanted to find out, what did you do at the UN? So what kind of work was you doing with the UN and did you work with other countries and things like that? Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in a few different departments. I've been in like the gender department working for UNRWA, which is the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees um, in Amman. And there, you know, we were kind of dealing with gender-based violence, sexual gender-based violence, specifically within the, the areas that UNRWA worked in, educating people, educating the, the refugees there about what those things are and how to manage them. And then on the other side, I was working for like the organization for the prohibition of chemical weapons in The Hague. And that was about ridding the world of chemical weapons. And wow. that was like dealing with the countries that have signed the chemical weapons convention 
to also get countries that haven't signed it to sign it. And I was wow. just like a dumb intern. I'm not going to say I was like getting people to sign the convention. Yeah. <laughs> I was like filing <laughs> and reading books. But I learned a lot about, you know, that whole area. Mm. Um, and then at UNRWA, again, I kind of moved to a different office and I was working on community engagement, um, getting the community's feedback, like people that live in the camps, getting them to tell us what exact changes they wanted in those camps rather than, you know, the UN just going in there, like making refurbishments that they don't really want. So I was working on their plan of how did they get feedback from the community and incorporate that. So did you actually visit the camps? In Jordan, yes, I visited the Zatari camp, which is one of the biggest camps, I think, in the world. And I've been to a couple of camps as well in uh, in Erbil, around Erbil. Well, what has that experience been like? Um, to be honest, it's just, you know, what it saddens me because I don't like to see people living in a tent and they've been in those tents for years and years. And this is exactly why I've come into this field because I'm like, well, why can't we 3D print a house for them? Why can't yeah. we use these types of technologies to make life a bit more comfortable? Why can't we give them a bit of self-respect by leveraging things that cost maybe a quarter of the price that the UN is paying now to you know mm. to provide services so this is what frustrates me the most I think it's our fault I think we've failed you know refugees and displaced people because we're not doing enough we're not using our brains enough to take advantage of these technologies that are available and really using them to to make their lives comfortable that's really interesting and on that point I mean um how did you find because I, I know you did a talk um, around, you know, the UN and how well equipped they are with tech. Like, could you just share a bit about what, just very briefly about kind of your views and what you saw when you joined the UN? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I wanted, I joined the UN because I thought they were saving the world. Mm. And then it slapped me in the face when I became an intern that actually there's so much bureaucracy, there's so much money being wasted. When I started working at OPCW in The Hague, I was expecting some Matrix stuff, you know, with like <laughs> screens go flying across the wall. And I was, yeah. you know, a dumb young kid. And then, <laughs> and I went there and they were like using Windows 95. And I mentioned that in my speech because I was like, what's happening, guys? And then, you know, moving to, to Jordan and work for the UN there, it wasn't much better. Like it, it got to a point where people didn't even know who they were working with. Departments didn't talk to each other. Everyone was doing their own thing. Like, wow. and then you make all these documents and documenting lessons learned and handbooks, but no one's reading them and no one's applying them. So that puzzles me. And that's where a startup mindset comes in. Because if you have that mindset, you will apply those lessons yeah. and you'll keep iterating and you'll keep getting better and better. But it just shocks me that the problem is it's run by very old men most of the time who don't want to update or don't care about it and just take a fat paycheck when they go home their kids education is paid for their rent's paid for you know it's not about saving the world anymore yeah and, and you know that's really sad and i wish i wish they do better that sounds like my corporate life yeah same <laughs> I, I was thinking that exactly the same thing when you were describing it like lessons learned and stuff like that and then you start thinking why am i doing this but, yeah. <laughs> what's my purpose yeah but let's not digress <laughs> let's talk about the gaza sky geeks do you mind just explaining to our listeners what it is? Sure. So I'll call them GSG for short. They were the first incubator and accelerator and now coding school in the Gaza Strip. And they started off, I believe, in 2011. They were on also a similar mission to Recoded, where they're focused on 
building the tech ecosystem and providing opportunities for youth using technology. And there is actually fiber optic broadband available in Gaza, which is what you know they use. And there's startups coming out from there. There are very good, talented developers. Um, the internet was really a way to kind of get exposure to the outside world for most of the population. And they are like, I've met some amazing people in Gaza through what Gaza Skygis has done for them, but also just from their own dedication. I met a 13-year-old boy who learned English just from YouTube. So his English was wow. like even better at mine at some point. <laughs> no cockney, but... <laughs> I was going to say, you're from East London, so... <laughs> <laughs> but it was like so cool and he was he wanted to have his own startup and every year he would apply to their boot camp and he would apply to their like entrepreneurship trainings every year his idea wasn't good enough because he was still inexperienced he was still learning so he would keep trying keep trying and I think by like year three or four his startup finally got through to the incubation round and you know he was really happy and like he was just like so intelligent and so driven. He was like, nothing's going to stop me, man. I'm just going to do my thing. He's so young. I was like, I don't know half the things you know. <laughs> I feel ashamed of myself. <laughs> but um, yeah, GSG is doing fantastic work. And I think they've they've created that pathway for similar initiatives and proven to them that it works in places that have been affected by conflict mm. or are going through ongoing conflict. There is hope and there is a way to use technology to support the communities there. And you know, I learned so much from them. Did you get to go there then, or was it you were doing it remotely? I was doing it remotely, and I would visit. Okay. Yeah, my, one of my visits was for I think if I remember five days, and that was around the time that Pokemon Go came out, and I was like playing it so much, and I was on a mission <laughs> to get a Pikachu, and I couldn't find Pikachu anywhere I traveled, and then I found a Pikachu in my apartment in Gaza on my bed. Wow! Oh my god! <laughs> Can you believe that? That is amazing. <laughs> So guys, if you want to find Pikachu, you need to go to Gaza. <laughs> but she's right though, you need to go to another country yeah. and you can really find the right Pokemon. There are no Pokemons in Iraq, I'm telling you. <laughs> the Gaza Sky Geek is an amazing name, by the way. Yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting name. If if I remember this right, the reason they put Sky in there was because there was some limitation with where the co-working space could be and they were like, no, it needs to be floor higher and also they wanted the governments wanted like the whole space to have windows so and um they were like okay so now we're guard psyches because we're in the sky <laughs> i don't know if that story <laughs> verbatim true but yeah. i'm trying my best <laughs> so do you remember any memorable startups that came out of it yeah there's actually one startup um there's quite a few startups one of them was called bastila which is a gaming studio uh-huh. they've had quite a bit of success in the past. Um, one day games were downloaded like, a couple of million times. Um, it was called like Ramadan Challenge or something. And yeah, like it was really popular in Saudi. Another startup, it has an f- amazing female founder called Mommy Helper, where she's trying to create a platform for Arab women who travel abroad, mm-hmm. specifically to the West, and don't really know what to do if they're expecting or have children. And she's, you know, won competitions in Istanbul. Like, they're really amazing like it's really the people behind the startup and I think she's also as far as I'm aware a one-man team one-woman team so she's you know she's phenomenal these stories give me so much hope and I use them a lot in Iraq because a lot of the a lot of entrepreneurs tend to complain about whether it is no matter what type of entrepreneur you are where you're from and here the biggest complaint is the government obviously and conflicts and things like that but I'm like Mm -hmm. hey I think people in Gaza do it and so can you and you know it's 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 cool sort of success story to to show people 
Well, so just um, before we go into recording, how did you join God's Sky Geek? Because again, there'll be a lot of listeners, even myself, is like, I would love to do something like that. How do you take that step and do it? So I came across Gaza Sky Geeks actually while I was interning at the UN and I was researching employment in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank. And I came across them and I was like, wow, they're doing everything an NGO should do. And I started off by working for them pro bono. I wasn't, you know, bothered about money or anything. I really just wanted to help and also get experience and support them. And then later on, I became um, a consultant. And I think that's like the first step, you know, if you want to help and you're not in it for the money because you genuinely want to support a community or an organization, just, and they always need help, especially these like small startup NGOs. There's always a way for you to support. So my first big part of advice there would be just provide some training, mentorship, it will go such a long way. And how did you get in touch with them? Did you just write to them or you, you knew someone there and you just approached them about doing some free work? No, I didn't know anyone there. I just went on their website and actually saw they were looking for a pro bono community engagement manager. And I'm like, oh, great timing. And um, I emailed them and they actually didn't reply to me. And I was like chasing them, emailing them again and again. And they were like, you know what? We need someone like you. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's good. Mode. Um, but then, uh, yeah, you just, even if they didn't have anything up, I would have still emailed them because I just really believed in what they did. Great. So let's move on to Recoded. Tell us about who they are and the work you're doing. So Recoded started off as Coding Academy and was launched officially last year. The co-founders, Alexandra Marcelo, are both based in Istanbul. We have bootcamps in Turkey as well, in Chandurfa and in Istanbul. So they're based there and kind of running the Turkey operations. And I'm based in Iraq and we're, we're trying to, in addition to the coding training, using that to upskill youth, provide them with quality education, because here, you know, the universities aren't great. Um, even if you're studying software development or your know, IT, it's very theoretical. You're not learning enough practice. So with that, you, you graduate and you kind of know stuff, but if you didn't spend that extra time coding, you wouldn't still be a great coder leaving um, university. So we're filling that gap. And on top of that, we've recently also started to venture into different types of training. So we're doing like entrepreneurship training, mm-hmm. freelancing training, both of them focus on online and tech entrepreneurship. And we're also going to be bringing blockchain training soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And really just trying to diversify what we offer because... You know, obviously, the tech world is so diverse. It's not just about one skill. And we want our students to look at freelancing and entrepreneurship as very viable employment opportunities, especially after they go through one of our coding boot camps. That sounds exciting. If they need any podcast training, you've got us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pull you up on that. <laughs> okay, yeah. And you signed up. You're closest. <laughs> I've been to Iraq many times, so it's fine. That was one of my questions, actually. Um, so, like, Anis is that you mentioned that he's been to Iraq, and um, he mentioned that when you think of Iraq, you think of that it's war-torn. You, you have these negative conversations straight away that pop in your mind. Can you tell us a bit more about life in Iraq and what it is in real life? Yeah, sure. So, there's a lot of things that really surprised me. When I first moved here, well, before I moved here, I was really, like, Googling Arabil, and, like, is it safe experts? Is Arabil safe general? You know, like, all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and all these, like, experts had these blogs and stuff saying it's perfect, it's great, you know. And my brother was freaking out. He was like, um, <laughs> he's like, it's one hour away from Mosul. What do you think you're doing? And he's like, I've been looking into, like, independent military people to come and save you if anything goes wrong. They're like, Jesus Christ, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. And, um... When I moved here, I was really shocked because I I didn't expect, you know, it to look all war-torn or anything, but I didn't also expect it to be so modern. And I live in Erbil, so Erbil is like 
they really tried to make it into a Dubai and then it hit an economic crisis in 2014. So you see a lot of half-built buildings and it really reminded me of Gaza actually because Gaza also had a lot of like half-built places because a lot of mm-hmm. you know people must have stopped uh, developing or like moved out. So here it's kind of similar similar look. But there's so much to do here. There's so many restaurants, there's things to do, there's parks, it's very green. And then you go to other parts of the north, Dahuk and Soleimani, Again, it's very green, very beautiful. The only thing that I think shocked me was just like how I, I also didn't have any idea about Kurdish people and I didn't know much about the culture yeah. and the traditions. And it really surprised me how similar they are to like Pakistanis. So I was like, wow, you know, like they have the shawar, the body pants. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and like so many words in Kurdish and even in the Iraqi Arabic dialect are similar to Urdu. So it's really surprising there. But um, yeah, the, this, the Kurdish region is is much, you know, it's really nice. And there's obviously, you know, not far away, like Mosul is pretty much fully destroyed and it's only you know, a very short distance. I've been to like a village nearby and it is very sad mm-hmm. to see the destruction, but it's also, you know, very encouraging also to see how people are quickly like rebuilding and really just want to get on with things and, you know, moving back to the villages they've left three, four years ago. It's, you know, I just, I'm really inspired to be here and I actually find this, this is my home now. When I leave, I wow. really miss my place. I miss everywhere. I feel like a part of my soul is missing. And yeah, other parts of Iraq are very, you know, each city is so different. Like Basra, where, Anis, you've been visiting. I don't know if you went to the city. No, I didn't get a chance to go to the city, though. No. Okay, so Basra like, used to be the Venice of the Middle East and, you know, there's canals. There used to be gondola rides decades ago. Wow. And, you know, unfortunately now it's not in the best shape. I think it just needs a good clean, like... And it would be perfect and brand new. Mm. But, you know, people there are really lovely, very friendly. Same with people in Erbil, same with people in Baghdad. You know, there's, each city has just like got its own character. And it is interesting. And so, like, on, we've got a blog that I read about your, one of your blogs, which was showing some pictures of like the office space that you've created, like to encourage people to go. And it was so cool. It's, like, I want to work there. It's like, my office is so dull and boring. It's like, that's so cool the way you guys set it up. So could you just tell us a bit about, because it's not just about training, you know, the, what other work is the recorder doing in terms of doing stuff like that and creating workspaces? Yeah, I mean, the core of our mission is building the tech ecosystem throughout the country. And part of that is having a shared space where people can come work together, collaborate, come up with ideas, execute those ideas. And co-working spaces are so, you know, they're everywhere. When you're in London, in the US, they, like every corner you turn, there's a co-working space and no one charges you and no one bothers you. And there's definitely not enough of those here. So having our own little space is really important. And we offer it to our students. They come in outside of class times, they work there, our alumni, and then anyone else in the community who's got a startup idea they want to work on or are working on a coding project, they're welcome to come. We have an area for them to sit and chill. And a lot of people say it's like such a unique space in Erebil. And, you know, in the future, we hope to keep expanding that and just making it a bigger and brighter place. We're also opening a space in Soleimani, which will be even bigger. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, going, it's going well. It's really cool. It's a lot happening at once. But these spaces are so important. We really take it for granted. Yeah. And say, it's going to be the next Silicon Valley of Iraq. <laughs> That's the plan. So are you able to share any projects that the guys over there, people that they're working on or something that they've done that we may know about? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our students are working on their own stuff. They're working for startups abroad as well. One of them graduated from our program. We we end our program with a client project. So they work with a real local or international client. And a lot of the time those clients end up hiring the students because they're so impressed. One of them got offered a CTO position at a really cool startup wow. called Takadam. Wow. And, you know, he's been working on, you know, creating the app for them, um, website, everything. They're doing really well. They're currently in an accelerator. 
in the US, you know, there are some hurdles that come along the way. For example, he wasn't able to get a visa in for the US to take part in Accelerator, which, you know, it sucks, but it happens. But, you know, thank God again for the internet for remote working because it doesn't fully stop you from, from getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's one story. Another story, we've had quite a few of our graduates also go into training roles, like coding training and computer training roles locally, because I think a lot of similar sort of initiatives are popping up now within other NGOs, even the UN. So they kind of graduate from us and then they, they're like in a good position to share that knowledge. And that's really amazing to see a lot of our students, we also hire to become trainers for the next cohort. So we're trying to build capacity and build that experience. So, you know, they're, they're all over the place and they're doing pretty good. Most of the students that wanted full-time employment have gotten that after graduating, which is a big, a big part of joy for us. And we have a lot of students coming in now that have their own startup ideas they want to do like kareem for Airbnb. they want to do like food delivery uh, there's so much potential honestly yeah so we're here to support them yeah because from what i remember in Airbnb, i mean before all the chaos happened a few years ago it was a very like as you mentioned it tried to be like a mini dubai so there's a lot of big brands in the middle east opened up shops there there seems to be this ecosystem where the youth are really into moving forward and with innovative ideas as well they're very receptive to it yeah absolutely i think it's just that they just need a bit of guidance that's all it is you know they they really have the passion and the drive i have so many amazing students one of our current android basic students she's she's from syria originally and she lives in Calcutta, and she is so driven every day she's the first one there and the last one to leave and she's always like asking questions she's doing so much we have other students from um, you know, nearby Kurdish towns and even Mosul that come in, they move to Erbil just to the program. It's like they will they will find a way to come if they can. And how did they hear about you? So Facebook is so, so popular to the extent of like anything you're gonna do is gonna be through Facebook. Twitter's <laughs> yeah. all that. Facebook's the thing. So we get we have a lot of outreach through there. We have quite a few followers. Um we're obviously always trying to expand that. And on top of that, you know, word of mouth, that's the strongest thing here. So could you tell us through like a typical scenario? Like if there's a student, he sees you on Facebook, what what would happen? What would be his path to then come to you guys and start working with you guys? What would what would you guys do with them? So we have quite a stringent selection process for the coding academy. They all they can register their interest so that when the coding academy starts and the application's open, they get an email saying, Hey, ready to take your application. They fill in a form which captures, you know, their background, their age, their gender. And we're also always working to get at least 40% women in our programs. But when we people apply, it's always like the majority men that are applying. So we really try and balance that out through the selection process. So capturing that there in the beginning is very important. And then shortlisted candidates from there get a coding challenge. They have to complete the coding challenge to get to an interview. And basically, if they do the coding challenge, then they will most likely be able to complete a three-month or a five-month boot camp with us. Because it is you know, a big chunk of their time and they need to be yeah. committed and dedicated. And obviously coding isn't always for everyone. So it's important yeah. to know that before they start, otherwise wasting their time and it's not fit on them either. So you, you know, once they go through all those processes, then they get shortlisted and invited for an interview and then um, they get chosen to come. Wow. And so what kind of stuff are you guys looking for when you're doing interviewing them and when you're going through the applications? We're really looking at their passion for coding. Even through the application forms, obviously, if someone hasn't filled in the form fully, then you know, like, okay, not going to shortlist you um, with, like, one letter in the field of why do you want to do this program? It's like, L. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Maybe it's code. 
<laughs> maybe <laughs> you knew code I didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> um, our courses are for beginners anyway, so we just want yeah. them to like be able to go through a very basic challenge so that we know they worked at it, they tried it. Even if it's wrong, it's not a big deal. But for the interviews as well, we're looking at, do they have a passion? Also their availability. Are they, you know, university? Are they working full-time? Because it is a full-time program. So we see if they're working, then that's quite hard for them to manage both at once. And we also assess their coding challenge in person because that just helps us avoid any plagiarism or, you know, sometimes you'll find that people are working together and they end up submitting the same code. It's not because they're trying to copy each other. There's also just a lack of understanding about what plagiarism is. So we kind of talk them through that and help them if like, they weren't successful, make them listen why and teach them like how they can be successful for the next cohort. So we're always working at it. And before the bootcamp, we're doing workshops and we do these, you know, in, in the refugee camps, in our space, in universities to get the word out and get people more and more interested. That's great. And it's amazing hearing the work you're doing. So when you look back at all the work you've done, what would you say so far? You know, there's still lots you guys are doing. So, so far, what's been one of your biggest achievements? Oh, gosh. Um... Honestly, it's just the fact that seeing these students grow so much within a five-month boot camp alone. From day one, you know, when they're so nervous, they can't even speak, they can't present in person. Even for the interview, they're shaking. It's like wow. their first interview they've ever had. Then the first few weeks of the boot camp, you know, they're still really nervous. They don't make friends. All the boys on one side of the class, all the girls on the other, you know, like. And then <laughs> by the end of it, they're out in front doing the demo day. They're like very clear on what they want in life. Some of them, you know, realize how they want to definitely be a developer and what are the next steps? What more can we do with Recoded kind of thing? Their attitude really changes and their mindset changes a lot. And it's that's the biggest challenge that we face because you're fighting a whole system and a whole framework that they've been used to since they were kids. The university lifestyle, you know, it's very different. It's very like learn the lecture, do the exam, memorize everything. And we're teaching them a whole new way of learning and they really have to adapt to that. And it's just seeing them at that graduation day. I'm like a proud mom, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm so happy by the end of it. And it goes to show as well. And I really want to stress this point because I'm not a developer, but I'm running a coding school. And I think obviously, yeah, it would be ideal if I was a developer, but I'm also learning every day. And I think a lot of coding is kind of like common sense like I understand the basics I get the whole idea of it and the logic I just personally don't do it and I think that's the biggest misconception out there is that people in tech especially for women you kind of assume you have to be a developer and you don't you we need project managers we need business analysts we need you know lots of other types of roles that are equally as important so from since you started like has there been like is there someone that you say you know this is a role model a story that you can say you know be this with this person you can do it because you said you mentioned it with sky geese how about with recoded are there any stories or something that really comes to mind from the work that you guys have done i have to say um it's actually my now new newest member of our team is alan he was our student in our last boot camp for android and he is like honestly such a hard-working guy such a lovely guy he's always again he's also one of those people first one to come last one to leave always asking questions and he was such so nervous and very scared of public speaking but always challenging himself and he'd give suggestions because we also teach them sort of soft skills training like you know how to write emails how to behave in a meeting these kinds of things and he always asked can we do one this can we do one in this because he was showing that you know I'm scared about this thing or I'm worried about, you know, doing presentations. How can I improve myself? And that attitude was so important. And I think it really also helped. It was infectious for the other students. Other students started to also feel like they could come speak to us because he would do that. And he was so good that he is someone that we we hired as an Android trainee. And he's now working with the students. He's doing classes, which is something he would never have been able to do. And he always said to us, 
a year ago, if you told me I was going to be working for Recoded as a trainer, I would never have believed you. And now, you know, even now, he's like, I still have this guy in my head telling me, like scaring me about public speaking and training in the class, even though he's been doing it every day. And we call him Todd. So we're like, listen, tell Todd to go away <laughs> and you can do it. And then he gets up and he does and like, it wasn't as bad as I made out. But he's really such an inspiration, mm-hmm. even for me. He's like, he's just, he's grown so much and seeing the growth is phenomenal, honestly. Wow. That's amazing to see. Um, and before you were talking, you were talking about like women in tech um, and, you know, you, you try getting a certain percentage of women in tech. So from your time in tech, do you see a lot of Muslim women in tech or do you see a lack of it? And do you think it's mainly, you I, know? I mean, it depends on the context. I've had so many different experiences. Like in Groupon, I think, yeah, there were a couple of Muslims, but not many, to be honest. Not many Muslim women, for sure. Mm. Um, at my staff in Amsterdam, I was the only Muslim. Actually, I was the only Muslim woman, sorry. There was another Muslim uh, guy there. And here, I think there aren't enough because women here don't understand fully the benefit of being in the tech sector. It's like, yeah, culturally, there are a lot of restrictions. You know, they have to be home at a certain time. Obviously, this doesn't apply to all women, but those that it does apply to, you know, they can't stay in the co-working space too late. They need to be home early. Or it's kind of like they studied software development, but then their first priority when they graduate is getting married, and that's it. And that's the end mm. of their career. And we're trying to change that. I'm trying to explain to them, it doesn't have to be the end because there's so many opportunities available. You can work from home. You can create on startup and do create your own hours, you know, like work as a freelancer. There's so many options that I think I still don't understand fully the benefits. And, you know, we're trying to do workshops. We're trying to do extra activities and events specifically for women because also we've gotten feedback that having women-only events really helps because they feel like they can be more open, they can speak up more mm-hmm. to just be themselves and let loose, really. Yeah, and well, why do you think that is? Because it's really interesting hearing that, you know, you were the only Muslim in Amsterdam working. There's only a small number of people at Groupon. Like, do you think there's something there? Like, do you think there's a reason for it? And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, from your views and what you've seen. I think it's kind of... If, if we're talking about Europe and the UK, the reasons are probably different. I think also there's like expectations mm. our parents have growing up as Muslim women of like your doctor, engineer. These are so cultural, right? So you kind of <laughs> put in those boxes. And even for me, like going and doing drama, I was the only Muslim person in my in the drama department. Mm. I was also the only brown person in the drama department <laughs> in general. And I think there's just like a lack of encouragement for women to enter these sectors. And I think that's starting to change though. But obviously, you know, tech is very new. So even here, it's the same. It's not like your parents here are like, yes, my child, go and be a developer. Because they don't know what coding is, right? So yeah. <laughs> can't blame them. But once you educate them, mm. then they'll understand. And one thing we do to target that is when women get accepted into the program, we send letters to parents to say, look, this is, you know, your your daughter getting through to this stage is a big deal. Um, ex, you know, hundreds of people applied. She's like one out of 20 or one out of 40 to get through. And this is, oh, really you know, this is the opportunities she can get after she graduates. And then they're like pushing their kids even more. Like, okay, go do it. Do your best. Be a top, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that really helps. Oh, that's good. Zara, I have a question. You know, early on you mentioned that you had a passion for tech and then a passion for humanitarian. Where does that passion come from? Like, has Islam played a role in, in getting you towards that? I think, to be honest, I think like a lot of where I've come to has been also based on just prayer right like you always pray for the best you pray for the best opportunities some opportunities you think are really good for you tend not to be many times and you don't know that and god knows best so i've always asked 
that whatever the best opportunity is for me, just put me to that direction because I don't know what's best for me at the end of the day. And with that, with saying that, the startup world, I feel like it's so in line with teachings in Islam because it, because with startups, you're, you're so agile, you're always learning and implementing and changing. And that's exactly what Islam teaches you to do. It teaches you to go to China to seek knowledge. And that's exactly how, if you, especially you're a startup founder, you have to do that. Otherwise, you're never going to be have a successful startup. And I love that mentality working in startups that you're constantly learning new things and you're not just stuck in one role doing one repetitive task every day that alone is so important and applying that to the public sector especially to NGOs UN is so important because you're especially dealing with so many people and the whole premise of it is to help and support others so Mm -hmm. how can you do that if you're using 20 year old techniques so like merging those two things I think I'm just shocked that more more organizations are doing that already and I hope that GSG and Recoded lead the way to inspire their organizations to become like that but this whole startup agile mentality plus the humanitarian side of things and with the humanitarian work you know Islamically yes you're supposed to help others and making your career out of it is much harder because you know it's either UN or an NGO that similarly works to the UN and if you can't work like that it's really really hard I'm just really lucky to be in this role and to have like-minded colleagues that feel the same way and, and want to do right by the world and can really just apply all the experiences and we've all most of us have come from NGO backgrounds and political backgrounds and things and we've we know better now so we, we we apply that as much as we can that's really interesting that's a really good link that you just made there about startups and islam about helping others i mean i never never kind of thought it like that but when you said it <laughs> I was like, oh wow that's yeah it's so obvious <laughs> it does kind of go hand yeah. in hand and mashallah it's amazing the work you guys are doing so yeah keep it up um so we're just going to move on to our tip section now so what advice would you give to any person that wants to do more to get into tech or coding i think you know don't shy away too much from doing stuff for free because yes you know if you're not earning anything and ideally you're living at home so everything's paid for if you have the opportunity use that to do stuff to help others you learn a lot by doing pro bono work um i would really encourage them to do enough research to understand what kind of role they want to do if it's coding there's so many coding resources available online for free so start that see if you like it see how it goes if it's anything tech related a lot of roles or a lot of experience can be applied to the tech world as long as you're agile and you need to have that mentality of like, okay, do things quickly, fix them up. If there's a problem, fix it and and implement, reiterate. And then with that kind of mentality, you you also be more successful, and it will also help you figure out what you want to do. Um, one thing I have to say is you make mistakes for sure. I have a story about this that I want to tell. I was on a panel in Paris talking about recoded and it was a panel of other coding schools and one of the coding schools was like you know we teach java and i'm like yeah and we also like java we teach javascript and everyone looked at me like what did you just say because those are two very different languages <laughs> and i was just like java javascript same thing, right? <laughs> i was just such a dumb moment but i was like whatever i learned from that i'm gonna move on and i'll never make that mistake again yeah. but you know stuff happens you just gotta get on with it <laughs> yes it's a live recording and it's available online but um that's not going i'm gonna back. find it <laughs> no we'll find it should we link it to this episode 
<laughs> but it's interesting you say that because one thing I'm really seeing throughout this episode, throughout your story, throughout the work you're doing, is that perseverance just to keep going. Just like, don't worry, just keep going. So from since you applied to the UN, then to Geek Squad, then now to Recorded, yeah, there's always been a theme of kind of just persevering and just keep going. And it's really cool to see. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, um, all I can say is it's it's definitely not easy. And especially when you've worked kind of in the West where there's like a certain standard of things and a certain way of working and then you come to a different country that do things differently, it's hard to adjust for sure. But you learn, you know, we're humans, we're always going to adapt. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to get involved with the Geeks Call or Recorded, like any way that anyone can help in any way possible? Yeah, I mean, the best thing about organizations like Recoded and Gaza Sky Geeks is that you're, we're always looking for volunteers. We're looking for mentors for the entrepreneurship trainings we do. We're looking for, you know, coding mentors, people to come in and do trainings and workshops with the communities here. And, you know, it is costly. I'm not going to lie and say like, yeah, just fly over. No big deal. And you're dealing with very bootstrap organizations as well because we're startups and we rely on donor funding but at the same time the the impact that you make just even holding a workshop about like UI UX design or how to create a podcast or you know <laughs> how to write a blog like it could be anything but having people come in when you teach one person you're teaching 10 they tell all their friends about it they're like can we you know join the live stream can we do this can we do this and it's so important for them to also get exposure to different careers and different people from different places. You know, unfortunately, the same with Gaza and similar with Iraq. It's really hard for Gazans to leave Gaza, but it's really hard for Iraqis to get visas to Europe, UK, US. So you coming here makes such a difference because they love it. They love speaking to you. They love learning about your stories and uh, why you even came to visit them in the first place. So anything you can do pro bono, whether it's in person or remotely, makes such a big difference. Yeah. I just realized I said Geek Squad instead of Sky Geeks. God, the Sky Geeks. <laughs> Geek Squad is the guys who come fix your PC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like my Java JavaScript mistake, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to move on to our quick fire round. We're just going to ask you like some questions and just shoot the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. You can elaborate on the answers if you want. It doesn't have to be super quick. All right. Uh, okay, so I'll start first. Your favorite book? Okay, my favorite book. So I just finished reading Reza Aslan's book, No God But God. And it's really interesting because I realized like when I was growing up, you know, Muslim, I read, try to read the Quran and I'm realizing like I'm not actually understanding the context of when the Quran was written in. And I was just like so dumbfounded at the fact that there's so many things in here but I don't understand what was the economy like what was the infrastructure like like I, I'm really interested in this kind of stuff so since that light bulb moment for me I've been reading a lot of history books and uh, you know biographies about Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, and it's like opened my eyes a lot to Arabia at that time and then comparing it to how it is now what went well what went wrong these kinds of things really interest me so I have a lot of history of the world books 
I'm glad you said that because a common thing I always hear today is just the youth and they come up like they, they, it's good to read the Quran and you know you get it but then there seems to be more questions like a lot of people question well what about this what about this and then people need answers to that so having books like that is really powerful to actually make that connection and I, I've, I've read this book A Life of Muhammad in the Life of Muhammad and I'll put the link into the show notes as well but it was walking through the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallam, and going through like from when he was a child putting into chapters and building up to his adult life and you actually read through it in chapter and chapter and that was another amazing book but it is it's, that's a really good point you made you know a lot of people would relate to that and maybe question so yeah that's a great book I'll find it and I'll add the link to the book you mentioned to the show notes as well yeah please do cool so the next question top destination you have visited in terms of a holiday I would say it's Boracay it's an island in the Philippines amazing like wow. like Paradise. I hope paradise is like this because then I'm I'm good for it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a stunning place. I never come across them. Yeah, you gotta you gotta try it out. Um, I'm also really into like weirder places. Like I really want to go to North Korea and I want to go to you know anywhere that's not allowed or like <laughs> not you know normal. Um, I get that sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> what about any top destination where you'd lived in? I would, I mean, I'd say Erbil is in my top three. I really also loved, like, really loved Amman, but not living there. I liked it as a as a holiday because mm-hmm. it's just really expensive. It's more expensive than London. Wow. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's it's not a great, like, not a lot of opportunities for people. So that kind of put me off living there. It was It was quite hard, but... I would say nothing beats London, to be honest. I'm just such a London girl at heart. And I feel like I'll always end up coming back to London. Even living in the Netherlands for a bit, after six months, I just got over it. And I'm like, nah, I need <laughs> I need my city life. <laughs> Once you go out of London, then you realise how much of London you actually miss. Because when you're there, you, just, you don't care. Like, it's London. Yeah. I want to go somewhere else. You really take it for granted. When I moved to the Netherlands in the beginning, I was like, forget London. I'm never going back. This is amazing. There's so much fresh air. I can cycle. And then after six months, I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'm getting really bored of these canals now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So next question is, who is your favorite person in tech? Okay. I have to say one of my role models is actually one of my former bosses at Gaza Sky Geeks. Her name's Ileana Bontorp and she's a powerhouse of a woman. She really, you know, built Gaza Sky Geeks um, in the first few years of its inception and has taught me so, so much that I've been able to apply at Recoded. And I think she's really one of the most exceptional people I've met in tech. Wow. Look her up and again, I'll add a link about her on the show notes as well. Yeah, you should. Cool. Um, and then our next question, best gadget you have ever purchased? Your most memorable gadget? I just bought a wireless charging pad. <laughs> and that's, cool. yeah, that's really cool because I didn't think it would work. I was kind of like, mm, are we at that part of tech development that this is going to work? But we are. <laughs> we, definitely, <laughs> we definitely are. No, it's really cool. And, it, and I just bought my samsung s9 i'm an android gal so i'm like nice you know i keep i keep putting it on and off just to check like yeah it still works <laughs> yeah. just make sure you don't get a bulky case yeah i can vouch it doesn't work yeah i know i have to take it off every time <laughs> okay so um what's next for you zara um i think i'm gonna stay you know 
in our bill and for a while we're doing a lot of stuff at the moment and we're hopefully going to be expanding to Baghdad by early next year. So I think I'm going to be staying in either Kurdish region or federal Iraq. And then, you know, in the future, I do want to move back to London eventually. I just don't know when. I also want to work a little bit in the tech scene in Pakistan. Nice. Because I think I've been involved in so many places except, you know, the the place where I'm culturally yeah. and from so it's quite like I kind of kick myself about it because I'm like you know I should be doing stuff for Pakistan too but it's in the plans it's in the plans I hope I can convince my husband and it all should be good <laughs> <laughs> well, Alhamdulillah it's really good and it's, it's an amazing mindset as well again just do it <laughs> um, yeah and where can people find you so on Twitter I'm Zahra A. Shah on uh, email you can email me at Zahra at re-coded.com anything you want to do to support or any information that you need please email me and you can add me on facebook and linkedin for sure as well again just zahra shah if you type in recoded i'll pop up cool so before we let you go zahra we have one final question for you yeah what is there not enough of in this world there is there's not enough of an attitude where people just fight for what they want and instead find you know excuses to not do something they want to do and that's one thing I've come across a lot in the last few years just do it literally Nike just do it (laughs) (laughs) and and don't be afraid of failure (laughs) that sums you up yeah (laughs) I think we're gonna call this episode Zara Shah just do it (laughs) I'm down for that you have my blessing great (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Zara. I've had so much fun interviewing you. You know, you're doing an amazing job. You know, you've got this amazing perseverance and you're doing the things that are making a difference. So thank you and keep up the great work. Thank you so much for having me and uh really appreciate being on the show. It's my first podcast, so thanks so much for the invitation and uh really look forward to hearing more podcasts from you guys. Awesome. Bye. Not over just yet, everyone. Of course we've got to plug ourselves. We hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some gold nuggets of wisdom. Remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you wanted to give us any feedback, praise, or if you have any suggestions for guests, send us an email to info at onefootinthesink.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search One Foot in the Sink, or Instagram at One Foot in the Sink, or Twitter at the number one foot in the sink. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and look out for new episodes every other Monday or fortnightly, or bi-weekly, whatever you want to call it, let's go with two-weekly. That's me all done, see you guys soon!